0: good morning friends so good to be with you as always um let's pray jesus thank you so much for your love god you're so holy thank you so much for that moment to worship you god to envision your throne to envision the heavenly courts and the heavenly scenes god and book of Revelation tells us that there are heavenly beings who just say the word holy, holy, holy for infinity past and infinity future, proclaiming your name. God, thank you for that despite being so holy, you became human just to show us your love for us, to bring us into your family. And so as I speak, I pray that you would speak, that we would listen, you give us ears to hear. We pray this in your name, amen. Uh, we're going to start today with a picture of me when I was 10. Uh, so this is me. This is my family back in the day. And um, yeah, we can do a zoom in. So <laughs> this, this picture kind of sums up uh, what 10-year-old me was like. Your boy was a, a bit high on the energy. And uh, as you can see, my dad is just trying to hold me in place because I was just shaking with the, you know, the hyperactivity. Uh, So it was a fun time when I was a kid. And one of the things, I found this picture recently and I I took a picture of it. And it brought to mind how back in the day, I used to do this like really silly thing uh, where I used to fake having showers. Now, before you judge me too hard, (laughs) it just brought back this random memory. And I, I remember how my mom, she had this rule that I needed to be in the bathroom with the shower on for at least, I'm forgetting how many minutes, 10 minutes or 15 minutes, I forget. But it was a certain amount of time because often at the beginning, when I you know, started taking my own showers, I would just like kind of pretend, and I don't know where this like fear of water came from, but I would go into the shower, I would be in the bathroom, close the door, I'd turn on the shower, and then I would just kind of sit there on the, on the toilet and <laughs> pretend to have a shower. And then I would come out kind of like wet my hair just to be a little performative, you know, gotta, gotta act the part. And uh, then I'd come out and be like, I'm done with my shower. And my mom would look at me, nah, you're not done, get back in there. And uh, so my mom made this rule. You need to be in the bathroom with the shower on. I need to hear that shower for at least like 10 to 15. And so eventually this is just what I did. And I did this for, there was like a solid phase. I'm not gonna tell you how long cause you're gonna judge me, but there was a solid phase in my childhood life where I just abhorred bathing for some reason. I don't know why. It's a pre-puberty, so maybe it wasn't as bad. No, it was bad. But, um, and I would just go in and, and I remember uh, when I got, you know, I'm, um, I got a little like handheld gaming. I got a little Game Boy Color. I remember how many of y'all remember the Game Boys? Okay, here we go. We got a few, we got a few millennials in the house. Gen Z, you don't know about the Game Boy Color. Don't pretend. Don't pretend. You know about the Switch. You don't know about the Game Boy Color. The Game Boy Color was the OG, man, the OG. And I remember when I got the Game Boy Color, man, that thing was, man, I, I, I had that thing on me. And I remember I go into the bathroom for a shower, and I put on the shower. And meanwhile, I'd just be playing Mario. I'd be playing Kirby, right, right in the in the bathroom on the toilet. And my mom would call me. She's like, "How's that shower going?" I'd be like, I'd kind of like stick my head into the tub area so it echoed to get the fake echo. Good, good, good. <laughs> All to do this performative shower pretending. And it's such a random story. But as I reflected on that uh, this week, I realized something kind of random. But it actually made me pause and stop. I realized when I was 10, all that I saw in my mom's requirement of me having showers was the rule. And that's kind of where I was at at the time. I was like, oh, why are you giving me these rules? This is so dumb. I just want to like not have a shower. I want to do my own thing. I want to be dirty. Let me be dirty. <laughs> and all I saw was the rule. But my mom loved me a lot. And she wanted for me what I could not even want for myself at the time, what what I didn't even have the maturity to value at the time. So really, there were two things playing out here between my mom and I in this conflict of bathing or not bathing. There was the rule, take a shower for at least 10 to 15 minutes, and there was her heart behind the rule, the rule and her heart behind the rule. So we're going to keep those two things in mind as we dive into Galatians chapter three, the rule and the heart behind the rule. Um, last week, we talked about a lot. There's a lot of content. And this week, there's even more. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna blaze. Um, but I want to do just a quick quick recap, just so we're all on the same page. If you missed it, that's okay. You can go back. You can watch it on the YouTube channel, Keen Church Elevate YouTube. It's there. Um, But really what last week boiled down to, Galatians chapter two, in fact, let's just pause here. If this is your first week here, it's been been a while, we're in a series on Galatians called The Law of Love. We're going through the whole book of Galatians, so if you want to follow along, that's where we are. And today's sermon is packed full of scripture, so we're going to be in the text a lot today. It's a lot, it's hefty, it's meaty, it's beefy, but we're going to go, we're going to dive right in. So last week, we talked about a lot, but really at the center of it was a single question and this question is a question of identity. The question is, as Christians, what is our primary identity? Is it race? Is it our culture? Is it our denomination? Is it our nationality, history, sexual orientation, personality? What is our primary, primary identity? As Christians, as followers of Christ. And in the early church, the Jewish Christians were struggling with this a lot. Primary identity. And they struggle with it because for pretty much a few thousand years, they were God's chosen family on the earth with special markers that God had given them to delineate them from other people groups. But with Jesus' death and resurrection, he's doing a new thing. And Paul's telling us in Galatians, what we've been learning over the past couple of weeks is Paul's telling us that God is actually creating a new type of family for all people, where all people are included. He's creating a new type of family. He's doing a new thing. So that was last week. Let's dive in. Galatians chapter three, we find ourselves, there are essentially four main movements in Galatians chapter three. We have faith, curse, law, and heart. So that's where we're going to be headed the rest of our time. You can keep track, follow along. Faith, curse, law, and heart. And before we dive in, I just want to pause and say, last week we talked about how a lot of this stuff can be really intellectual, can be really a little bit dry, feels like we're in a classroom or something like that. Um, and so, part of my goal last week was to show, and this stuff it can be really intellectual, but really what Paul's saying is it's all about the heart. It's about faith in God as a person, a personal faith, not some intellectual abstract thing out there somewhere that you learn about in a classroom, but a personal faith in God as a person. And that's what God's inviting us. Into so it's going to feel a little bit academic per se uh, today, but at the end we'll circle back around as I want to bring you with. I want to bring you with me. I don't want to just be talking out into the the ether. So number one, faith. Let's roll. We're going to zoom for my note taking friends. Lo siento mucho to you. Uh, Be blessed as we uh, as we. You can circle back. I'm happy to share notes or anything with you after. So faith. God's plan to build a single family in him. Let's read Galatians chapter three, verse six through nine. It says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, what is he saying here? This is a lot of words. Essentially that surprisingly, one thing is the defining characteristic or ought to be the defining characteristic of God's people, of this special family that God's building that transcends race, nationality, religion, that transcends all these things and are one in Christ, one thing, and that is faith. Now, this is actually surprising and it would be surprising to a Jewish reader because a Jewish reader would probably say, no, that like what about circumcision? What about... All the food laws. What about the sacrificial system? What about the sacrifices in the temple? Or what about the Sabbath? And yet Paul pushes back and he says, faith is the thing that unites. Now we're gonna circle back because we're not just doing away with all those things that I just mentioned. So we'll circle back to those things. But it's a little surprising that Paul says, hey, here's the one thing. If you, if you forget everything else that said, the one thing that unites all of the people under God's banner is faith. And by faith, again, we mean a personal trust in God, that God is who he says he will be. Now, last week, I briefly mentioned that sometimes it's tempting when we're reading the Bible to look at Old Testament and New Testament and say, man, in the Old Testament, God was super hard on the laws and the rules. And in the New Testament, it seems like he's doing something completely different. What's going on? It seems like there's sort of like a total 180 going on. What's, What's happening here? But really what we find as we read the text is that really it was faith the whole time. And I want to show you. So let's go, to, let's go to Genesis chapter 15, verse six. Now, this is the text that Paul is quoting in Galatians three, the verse we just read, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him, counted to him as righteousness. We're zooming to Genesis 15, six it says, and he, Abraham, believed God, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. Now, really, what this is talking about is that God comes to Abraham and he, sa- he makes a promise to him. He says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation, and through this nation that your family is a part of, I'm gonna bless the entire world. The whole world will benefit through your family. But I need to do it with your family first, and then from your family, I'm going to expand. And it says that Abraham believed God's promise. Now, this takes a lot of faith because many of us, we know the story of Abraham. We know that Abraham was really old when God called him. We know that his wife, she couldn't have children. So these are impossible things that God has promised to Abraham. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham's sitting there like, what are you talking about, man? I'm old. My wife, my wife is old. Like, we're, there, there's no way that can happen. And yet, Abraham believed God. So I think this is important because sometimes when we talk about faith, it feels so abstract. It feels just like one of these church words faith, have faith. But really, again, what we're talking about is a personal trust that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. So this is the faith of Abraham. Really, it was faith the whole time. We find out that actually faith was enough to make Abraham right with God, even in the Old Testament which may be surprising to some of us because once again, it's so easy to read the two and see, like, oh man, in in the Old Testament, God was, what he required to be right with him was keeping the law, was being perfect in every way. And yet in the story of Abraham, we find that it was faith. It was believing that God is who he says he is. So that's faith. Number one, we're already done. We're going to, we're zooming on to curse. Number two, we're going to go to Galatians once again, chapter three, moving on to verse 10. It says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it, for it is written, <coughs> excuse me, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evidence, evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So there's a lot going on here in this verse. But the first thing I think that I, it, you know, sort of think when I read this verse, the question that comes to mind is like, what what is he talking about when he says curse? He says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. What is is he talking about? Cursed. So essentially what Paul is doing here is he's quoting Deuteronomy and he's quoting sort of the covenant between God and Israel when God came down on Mount Sinai. And he said, I'm gonna be your people, I'm gonna be your God, you're gonna be my people. And he made a special type of relationship with them. And the people said, yes, we will try, we will do all these things. And God says, okay, well, if you're agreeing to do all these things, curse be anyone who does not do all these things. And really what he's getting at is that the fullness of the law that God is requiring, when you don't live up to them, Death comes naturally as a result. And we find this in Romans chapter six with a classic verse that we've all probably read. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Classic verse. So the curse, when Paul's talking about this curse, what is he talking about? He's talking about the inability to truly live within God's standard of love, no matter how hard we try. He's talking about you and me on a regular Monday when maybe our loved one says something to us and we're struggling to forgive. He's talking about kind of the resentment that won't go away, the bitterness, the unforgiveness. He's talking about no matter how hard we try, no matter how many ropes we climb and ladders we try and step up, no matter how much we try and climb the mountain up to where God's standard of love is, we ultimately fall short. And so this curse is that no matter how perfect we try to be, we inevitably end up dropping the ball. We can't live up to God's standard. We end up failing. But wait, there is hope. Amen. Praise God there is hope. Because in Galatians chapter three, verse 13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What is he getting at here? He's saying that Jesus took on that same curse, the separation between us and God, this inability to actually live up, and the death that comes as a natural result of that. Jesus took on this curse so every person could be included in God's family. Now, this is really important, I think, because I think it's, I think it's easy for us to become a bit of a shadow of ancient Israel in it a bit. I think this is, uh, this is the danger of what I like to call spiritual superiority. This is like Israel when you feel you are a chosen people, when you feel that perhaps there is a special truth or a special set of truths that God has given to only your community to share with the world, sound familiar? it is easy to feel and become exclusionary in your religion. What do I mean exclusionary? I mean, it is easy to feel like you are superior to everyone else. Now, let's be clear. Israel did have a special calling by God. They did have special truths given by God, and they did have a special purpose given by God. Just like for us, I believe, That the Seventh day Adventist Church has a clear calling by God, special truths to share with the world by God, and a special purpose in the world by God. Absolutely. And we're we're gonna talk about that as we continue forward. But it is very easy along the way when you've been given something special, to think that you're the special one instead of the message that was given. So let us be cautious in knowing that we've been given something special, not to think that we are the special ones but rather God is special. And when he's trying to share himself through us. So that's curse. Jesus takes on the curse that we ought to have bared so that we could be part of his new family. Number three, we're moving on to law. We're zooming. We're moving on to law. Let's go to verse 19. This is Galatians chapter 3, 19. Paul says, why then the law? A great question. Let's pause there. Because I think this is a question that many of us ask. And it's, it's, I feel like a natural question that comes about when we read Paul, especially in Romans, Galatians, a lot of Paul's epistles. He's talking, he's using all this language that sounds like the law doesn't matter. Really, let's be honest. He's using all this language that sounds like, well, then we can just do whatever we want. If the law doesn't matter, we're just doing away with, doing away with the law. Then I guess there are no standards. We can do whatever we want. God still loves us. Is this, what is this? Is this once saved, always saved? What's going on here? What are we talking about? So, Paul says, why then the law? I think he's addressing some of these concerns, these questions. Why, why does the law, why was the law important? What was the purpose of it originally? He says, it was added because of transgressions, which is another word for sins. It was added for, because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So, what's going on here? Paul says that the law, the purpose, the reason God brings the law, is because of sin and it was brought in intentionally by God to protect his people for a certain time until they could mature enough to live up to his standard. Now, let's go back to me and my problem with showering. As I uh, struggled to shower as a 10 year old, because your boy wanted to be dirty, it's more fun to be dirty. You get in the mud, you go out in the snow, man, that's fun. I did not even have the maturity to want to be clean when I was 10. I did not even value for myself being clean and presenting myself in a clean way. Cleanliness and therefore personal hygiene, therefore how I appear and interact in social circumstances, those things I couldn't, I did not have the perspective to value. And so my mom, out of love, she institutes, hey, you need to do this. You need to take showers, get clean. And she does this hoping to instill really, really her heart. She has the rule, take showers, but really hoping in her heart behind the rule that eventually I'll grow to the point where I could say for myself, you know what, actually, I want to be clean. I'm not taking a shower to appease her anymore. I, I want to be clean. Cleanliness is now my value. And parents, a lot of you, you know this well, if you have kids You know this well, that really in your heart, maybe you have rules for them, certain guidelines, you have disciplines for them, but really in your heart, what you want for them is for them to internalize. What you want for them is not just to follow rules their whole life, but rather to become the kind of person to grow in maturity to the point where they could actually want what you want for them. Right. So this is what Paul says, the purpose of the law was for, to protect. You guys are right on. You guys are like spot on. In fact, when you said that, I was I was trying to give a straight face because I was like, bro, they spoiled the whole thing. Spoilers before the movie began. So Paul's talking about the law and I think we need to pause here and just, we need to just pause and say, what does Paul mean by the law? Because this is a question that has actually been debated in scholarly circles about a lot of these texts. What does Paul mean by the word law in the original language? So let's go to that now. Paul says, in the original language, Paul's using a word called namos, it's a word in Greek, and it means law, rule, or code. And what we find is that this word, "nomos" is the way that when, the, when the, uh, the early Christian church, they translated the Bible into Greek, the Old Testament into Greek, in a translation called the Septuagint. This is a translation that was made in the third century about. And when this translation happened, every single time the word Torah was mentioned, In the Greek, they use the word "namas" to describe the Torah. Now, what is the Torah? This is a lot. What is the Torah? So Torah is a word, maybe you've heard before, to talk about the Bible. And really, what it comes from is the way that the Jewish writers, they broke down the Bible. Now, a lot of us, we have our Bibles today, you know, we have this, and it's in this format, in this order, and we think, man, the Bible was just like this for all of eternity. But really, for the Jewish writers, they had actually separated their Bible into a way that was a little bit different than ours. So they separated it into some, ma- some big categories. And three of these major categories were the Torah, the law, the prophets, the, or the Navim in Hebrew, and the writings, the Ketuvim. So these three are kind of the three big categories in what was the Jewish Old Testament. And so when we look at Paul and he's saying the law, the law, the law, what is he talking about? He's using this Greek word "namas." What most scholars believe is he's talking about the Torah. What is that? the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's talking about the story of God in the world and how God takes a chosen family and then delineates, hey, here are these set of rules because I want to protect you and I want to make you a certain type of people that I can launch a rescue mission from the world from. So what is Paul talking about when he says law? He's talking about the first five books of the Old Testament, everything contained within the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, ceremonial law. <clears throat> he's talking about the moral law, all the moral codes, everything in Deuteronomy. He's talking about all of these things when he's talking about the law. Now, as we pause, sometimes it, we can also look at this and say, man, this sounds like some like evangelical theology, like something that evangelicals believe. Sure, surely we don't believe this as Adventists, right? This sounds like some once saved, always saved kind of stuff. But really what we find when we turn to our beloved Sister Ellen White, she has a few words to say when it comes to, uh, to Galatians chapter three. She writes this from her commentary on Galatians chapter three. She says, the law has no power to pardon the transgressor, but it points him to Christ Jesus, who says to him, I will take your sin and bear it myself if you will accept me as your substitute. Sometimes ellen be hitting. Sometimes she'd be hitting. So that's the law. And finally, the heart, the heart. Let's read Galatians chapter three, verse 23. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. What is he getting at? He's getting at what we've been talking about with my non-showering problem. (laughs) That God, just like my mom, in loving me so deeply, she wanted what I did not have the perspective to even want for myself. And so in that created a rule for me to abide by until I could mature to the place where I could want it for myself. Until I could actually desire, until it was instilled within my own heart. But this is challenging. And this requires us to transcend from a, you could say, a works-based Christianity or faith into a faith-based Christianity or faith. And this is difficult for us because frankly, a works-based religion is much easier than a faith-based religion because in a works-based religion, all you have to do is look at the list. God, what's your list? I have a follow your list, I'm good to go. Go to church on Sabbath, I'm good to go. Eat the right foods, I'm good to go. I'm in your good graces. And all I have to do is maintain this list-keeping. Really, what Paul's alluding to is something deeper and actually more costly, and actually a much higher standard than just looking at a list. He's talking about faith in God as a person, and really, what he'll go on to say in Galatians, and we're going to learn as we continue on, is he's talking about God's calling us into His ultimate standard of love. Now, this is real. Again, this is real. This is this is tough, y'all. <laughs> This is challenging, and this is why the religious people of Jesus' day struggled so much with this. But so, this is why, time and time again, you have people coming to Jesus saying, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? What about the letter? asking him about the law. And Jesus says different things, right? He alludes to different stories. He, you know, so a man comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? And he tells a story about a Samaritan. What must I do to be saved? He tells, he, he tells a rich young ruler, well, you got to sell everything you have. Why does he do this? What, what's going on? He says, you, you had heard it once before, say, Do not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at someone with lust, you've already in your heart committed adultery. What is he doing? What's going on? What he's, what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of what he's doing, is he's doing what Paul's talking about. He's going to the heart behind the law. He's going to the heart behind and saying, really, what God wanted the whole time wasn't just the rule. What he wanted was the heart behind the rule. What he wanted was love. And this is deeply challenging to us because love is actually very difficult to do for us. But I think there's hope. There's hope, especially for those of us who feel like a lot of this is just some sort of like pie in the sky, really abstract stuff, right? It's like, man, but what are the rules? What are the standards? But what Jesus is really teaching us is love is a higher standard than laws could ever be. Laws are limited, laws are finite, but love is infinite. Laws are, love is unlimited. So rather than looking at a list and saying, man, I got to follow the list, Jesus calls us into something deeper and more costly that costs us, actually costs us more and is a higher calling. He says, man, you've heard it once said in the law, don't murder, but I say, if you even hate someone, that's breaking the law. It's the same thing. Really, it's the heart. He's trying to get us deeper into the heart. This is a journey of maturity. And frankly, I think, and I'm saying this in love and directed at myself as well. Frankly, I think a lot of us would much rather have laws than faith because it's just less work. It's it's just easier. It's just easier to work on the checklist Than it is to actually trust that God is who He says He is and that what He wants for us is better than what we could even want for ourselves. But I found something interesting, and I found this at seminary. I'm gonna make a confession to you. I did not brush my teeth two times a day my entire life until I was 28 years old, until I attended seminary. And a part of this stems back to my shower days because what I didn't tell you was it gets even worse than me not wanting to shower is that often when I would fake my showers I would also fake my teeth brushing cuz I also didn't want to brush my teeth cuz I was I wanted to be dirty <laughs> So back when I was a kid not only would I fake my showers I would go into the bathroom and I would like run the water on the sink and I would like put tooth on my tooth my toothpaste on my on my toothbrush And I would just do like a (laughs) noise just in case my mom was listening. So I do all this like performative stuff just to, to make her think I was keeping her rules. And isn't that just like us? It's so weird how we think in our mind that it would be easier for us just to like do this weird performative acting, just to like, make, manipulate God like we can trick him into thinking that we're keeping all the rules when in reality, we're we're human, so we don't. We end up inevitably failing and not living up to his standard. But really what I found, what was interesting is when I got to seminary, I was 28 years old, I went to the dentist and they, guess what they told me? Y'all already know where, where I'm going with the story. They told me I had 16 cavities and I needed two root canals and this was from a lifetime of not brushing my teeth before bed. And I was, when they told me that, I was like, snap, this is real. This is not a game. But what I found from this <laughs> is that my mom back in the day when she used to say, hey, brush your teeth when you wake up and before you go to bed. What she didn't want for me was to experience the cost of actually not brushing my teeth. But I didn't have the perspective to even know what the cost would be. I couldn't even know. And so my mom puts a rule in place for me because she wants for me what I can't want for myself. And she says, hey, do this, but I didn't do it. So I ended up experiencing the cost of it. And I think that speaks a lot to what God wants for us. God puts these rules and these laws in place and sometimes they seem arbitrary. They seem like, man, God, what are you doing? But really his heart behind it is that He doesn't want for us to experience the cost of not living according to His love. And ultimately where He wants to bring us is to the place where we value the standards of His love. And what we're gonna learn in Galatians is that what, that's what the Spirit does, is the Spirit leads us into actually valuing and actually wanting, like changing our hearts so that we actually want what God wants for us. So what's the moral of the sermon? Man, brush your teeth and take your showers. I'm speaking to myself, JK. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you are the God of the shower. You're the God of the brush teeth. God, you want what's best for us. Sometimes it's hard to see. But God, would you change us? Help us to want what you want for us. Would you mold our hearts, create in us a new heart, renew a right spirit within us, bring us to where you want us to be, help us to trust you more. I pray this in your name, amen.